0: restless midlife a podcast get health weight and life back on your terms Hello, and welcome to episode eighty-one of the Restless Midlife Podcast. Now, I've got a great interview with Jen Wilson, who is a, an advanced personal trainer with a great deal of knowledge and experience around that side—the physical, um, physical exercise and activity uh, realm, including diet and nutrition—and but also with that coupled a background in working in various uh, aspects of behavior change in public health, from smoking cessation to weight management with uh, GP referral kind of uh, approaches, that kind of thing, and. That's really shaped Jen's approach to how she now works with her clients. So we get into that and her approach, and we particularly talk about towards the end as well the benefits and importance—not just the benefits, but the importance of resistance training for men and women, uh, particularly those of us in middle life and beyond, because of the multiple benefits that that can give us. So stick around for the interview and uh, listening, because I think there's loads there to pick up on. Um, and again, very much in sync with the Sprout Sweater approach of making small but significant changes consistently trumps big grand all-out efforts that don't sustain. so it is about sustainability so again a great one so that that's the interview what i want to do is just really share um a, a thought really that uh came out of a conversation with a friend of mine a former client graham mills so shout out to graham for this visual which i'm now going to run with but we were talking about health and maintaining how do we maintain our our foundation of health um, and self-care and just looking after ourselves, eating right, that kind of thing, and moving towards particular health goals, whether it's weight loss or just getting fitter, stronger, all of those kinds of things, how do we manage that when life gets full-on and more challenging in the sense that there's more commitments? You know, in that midlife kind of bracket, we tend to find ourselves perhaps sandwich between um, childcare responsibilities, even sort of late teens and grown-up children, there are still potentially financial demands and support, particularly in the challenging times now, getting on the property ladder, that kind of thing can be challenging. It can often fall to parents uh, in terms of supporting that as well. Understand, so grandchildren, care duties, that kind of thing. Coupled with... Um, looking after and supporting our parents or relatives who may be you know d- developing additional health needs and um, needing additional care and support And that juggling of those demands coupled with a full-on life, you know work life, full-on family lives can mean that we can often put ourselves and those health goals and ambitions on the back burner in order to cope. And we got on talking about how do we manage that so that what we are try- seeking to achieve, isn't totally undermined at the very least by not being as optimal in our efforts? Um, And how can we maintain at the the best, maintain ourselves and our health whilst we're dealing with the tough times, which may be weeks, months, even years if we're we're juggling a lot? And where can we find the opportunities to bolster our health efforts whilst recognising that the demands and the pressure that's put on us to sacrifice those very things can be a a challenge? And that's where I think it's, it's worth firstly acknowledging that we need to life-proof our ambitions and our goals. Now, this is not about da- dumbing down or, or- lowering down our ultimate goals and visions. It's really important that we have an aspiration, an aspiration for ourselves going forward in terms of our health and where we'd like to be in all aspects of our life. I think the power of that vision and the goals that we set ourselves can be really motivational, but also shape the actions that we choose. Because if in setting those goals, the vision and the goals, we can then identify the key actions, the sprouts to sweat, as I often talk about, that move us in that direction and identify, more importantly, the stuff that doesn't move us that way that we don't actually have to do, or we do out of habit, but actually it's not part of our commitments, our responsibilities, or moving us in that direction. So it's really, really important. So we're not talking about dumbing down or lowering our sense of vision, but what we are talking about is that when times are Good, we're coping, we're doing well, we're on top of things. We are naturally going to bring more of our effort and motivation and energy to the game than we are when things are tough. So let's get real because often we can apply an unrealistic expectation on ourselves with that should thinking, I should be able to do this, why should you know, I should be able to cope, etc. etc. We bring that unrealistic rigid expectation to what are really, really demanding and unusual, or m- not necessarily unusual, but less than optimal, I guess, is a, is a way of saying it, times. So we need to recognize that what, in order to move in the direction of that longer-term vision and the shorter-term goals that we set ourselves, as I've talked about in many of the podcast episodes before, we need to have a, a plan that helps us deal with the suboptimal times. We have the plan, which is ideal, and can be implemented and put into practice with not necessarily ease, but easier at the at, when times are good. But often when time is tough, we need to just reconfigure those habits, those rituals and those routines to fit the reality of the times that we're in, the life to make them life-proof, because that's where we get unseated. It's it's matching the unrealistic actions, not the unrealistic and goals, We need aspirational big goals and visions, the unrealistic actions, we fail to match those against the reality of life. So we have unrealistic actions that we set ourselves against a reality of life that is completely different. And how do we do that is the challenge. So how do we bring it down? So the first thing really is to think about what would be good enough in terms of maintaining or moving forward in smaller increments or not moving backward as much as you know, as perhaps life would dictate by what could I do? What would be this, the, the lower level sprouts the sweat and goes to work towards in those times? It's about being more compassionate and less driving of ourselves in those tough times because you are already dealing with a lot. So what would that look like? Because having a clearer idea of that, a clearer idea of that goal will shape the things that you do, the decisions you make, and what you will seek to attempt to do and maintain and keep in your life over the period of the weeks or months that the particularly demanding period um, dictates for, for you or for us. Um, so that's the first thing to think about. Second thing is, Graham gave me uh, just mentioned in passing a great visual image of it. it's. It's a bit like health. It's a bit like Kaplunk. He said, and for those of you of a certain age, I'm sure you recognise that name. The game, and it's now the generic versions of it, marble drop, whatever they're called, where it's a funnel with straws sort of pierced through the middle of the funnel in a lattice framework across the middle of the funnel. At the bottom is a tray segmented out by player, so you might have four segments. And what you do is you have a bunch of marbles at the top. The game is you pull out a, a straw, and hopefully. The fewest number of marbles, if any, drop through once you remove that straw. Obviously, as the game progresses and there's less and less straws in there, the more marbles will drop through. And the aim of the game is, as, as a player, is to have the least amount of marbles in your particular segment at the bottom. Now, that's the game. But think about that as a visual for day-to-day life. The marbles represent the challenges, the demands, the responsibilities, the commitments, and the goals that we set ourselves. And we are juggling so much, aren't we? We're juggling so many of those marbles. And what keeps them up are the day-to-day actions, habits, rituals, routines, practices, behaviours, whatever you want to call them, that are the straws that are through the middle of that pipe. Now, I'm going to step away strictly from the game, because in the game it depicts them as straws, and this is where I'm going to run with the visual. Question is, we may have a few of those, but when times get tough, time pressure in particularly starts to mean we may remove more of those straws than than ideally we would choose. So there are more gaps for the marbles, the demands, the responsibilities, and the goals we choose to drop through. And that's the challenge because the more of the small sprout size, small stick size, I'll use that metaphor in this one, the more of those that drop, that we pull out, the more space there is for things to be dropped and for particular things to be, marbles to be dropped and then left. Now, inevitably, or usually what happens is they're not the things that we, that are of the, most immediate critical importance, we will still try to, we will still make time to feed the kids, for example, or make time to visit somebody in hospital to look after, and we'll do the critical stuff. The stuff that falls through is often the stuff that we feel like we have more control over, like, you know what, I'm not even going to try and, and sign up for that course this year or this month, or I'm not going to, Yeah, exercise-wise, I can't get to the gym, I can't get to the gym during the week, I'm too tired, I'm not going to do that. Those marbles drop through, and that's understandable, and that's where we have this idea, of, well, what would be less than optimal? You might wanna to get to the gym five times a week, for example, but what would be less? What would be the lower optimal as opposed to zero? You know, completely dropping the marble. And this is where I think the stick metaphor comes in really lovely because the sticks, the straws that go through the Kaplanunk are small, thin, almost femmer. In their own right, I'm bending the stick on the visual, but in their own right, they're very flimsy and could easily be snapped. And, but the beauty of that is that one straw, one stick being removed, doesn't necessarily mean that a marble drops or many marbles drop. It doesn't make a big gap. Multiple straws obviously can lead to multiple to, to cumulative size, a gap that's cumulative big enough for the marble to drop through, or a number of marbles to drop through. And here's where I think the challenge is because it isn't just about the the, the feminine of the sticks. Sometimes we rely on sort of fewer but wider and thicker. Sticks like a lollipop stick size, kind of size, to hold up the demands, and that might be say a gym routine four, or five times a week. You know, it's it's stick shape, lollipop stick thickness. Um, we have two or three of those. You know, I'll get to the gym. I make sure I eat a healthy uh, evening meal, um, and I'm eating well on lunchtime, and I'm not going out and eating rubbish on a lunchtime at work, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So we have two or three of those. The challenge is that whilst they're pretty robust, if they're in the game, they are easy to fall prey to being removed from the game. So we might remove the gym because of time commitments. And then what you have suddenly lost is not just a thin straw-like stick, you've lost a significant lollipop stick support within that framework. And that's when the bigger gaps open up. So what we're looking at here is, what are some of the, what what forms that middle framework, the lattice that holds up the demands and the marbles of your life? And there will no doubt be one or two of them, perhaps that gym work, the the regular walk, the dog, that kind of thing that's there. And that if they tend to be removed, they'll have a bigger impact on your health over longer term. And that's fine, that's permission to be human. But where we really have an opportunity is to look at, well, what are the micro size the smaller habits, rituals, and routines that we don't perhaps value? I often talk about the sprouts, as you know, but in this metaphor, I'm talking about the straws, the thin Femme-like habits that seemingly don't do a lot, but when taken together with a number of straws, can form a really strong framework to your day to bolster up and hold up those marbles. So I think about small but significant little habits that you can protect if you already have them in your day, that you can introduce or reintroduce in your day that can form a good framework, lattice framework for your demands and the, the goals of your life to sit upon. So that if, such that if one of those wider lollipop stick kind of habits is removed, you still have a good framework there to support you. And the beauty of this is that this can be something you don't have to have in place a hundred of those now. Over the next few weeks, pick one or two straw thickness sized habits to reintroduce into your day-to-day routines, your day, your week, your month, etc. To reintroduce and keep in place and see how they build into your life. It could be taking 10 minutes. I've just introduced a 10-minute morning routine where I get up, and when I say morning routine, I don't mean getting up at 4.30, I just mean get up when I get up, and before I pick up the phone, I make myself a coffee, and I sit down and have 10 minutes to myself without any input. That's a straw-like habit. In and of itself, it may not seem like much, but it's something that, and I will report back on the effectiveness of this, that for me is like starting the day in a more positive way um, and kind of building from there. So it's kind of thinking about what are the small ones. It might be a 10-minute break at lunchtime. It might be a 10-minute break mid-afternoon. It might be a strategic, healthy snack in the afternoon that is seemingly insignificant, but stops you splurging or feeling really low energy and making a a poorer decision around a meal later on in the day. So have a think about that, because I think this is where the real power of the small, the power of the sprout-sized, or in this case, the straw, the the thin straw, comes into its own. It's not in and of itself going to hold up all of those marbles but have 10 11 and build on those and have them routinely in there it can really really p- provide a great foundation and if for whatever reason one or two of those straws is removed because of time pressure or you just forget or you just haven't got the motivation you've still got a number of other straws in there that will hold fort you might drop a marble here and there but it's fine and here's the thing about the gamer can plug at the bottom there's a tray that captures the marbles and in reality you know with most demands not all, But most demands, there is a way to capture them, even if they do fall through. We take care, we often take care of the immediate, the urgent, the really, really important stuff. And we tend to let the other marbles fall through, but they're still there. We can still pick them back up. And here's the thing, just as a little aside, before we put them back in the top of the pile again to cope with them again, let's just ask yourself, does this marble even need to go back in there? Whose marble is this anyway? Is it mine? Could somebody else carry this marble? Why am I doing it? Am I doing that out of habit, out of duty, out of misplaced duty? Or does it really need to be in the top of the pile? And if it needs to go back in the funnel, it goes back in the funnel. But can we get rid of a few of the marbles in the process as well? So that's my that's my kind of taking the kaplunk, health kaplunk analogy, metaphor, whatever. Uh, probably a bit further than it deserves, but uh, just have some, have some thoughts about that. Drop me a line and tell me what you think about that. Does it resonate? Any particular ideas what those straw-like habits you could introduce or that you're already doing um and uh, any experiences around actually letting marbles through and then looking at them and thinking well can i let that one go so drop me a line at david restless and i hope you enjoy the interview coming up with jen take
1: care
0: hi jen it's great to have you along i've been looking forward to this interview and this catch up as well um, do you want to just let the the listeners know who you are what your background is and we'll we'll do, dig in from there
1: Yeah, absolutely. Hi Dave, morning. Um, Yeah, my name's Jenny Wilson and I'm a Senior Wellbeing Personal Trainer for Newfield Health. Um, I have been working for Northfield Health for the past six years Um, and then prior to that um, worked in public health, mainly the NHS uh, for 11 years previous to that. Um, Yeah, so my background is kind of health, fitness, nutrition, psychology, um, coaching people really um, in terms of helping them improve their health through learning about nutrition and exercise and coaching them step by step.
0: Great yeah so you mentioned your background in sort of the in the health um, mm-hmm. health service what 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 were you involved in that just I'd like to get a little bit of a backstory. Yeah like no no it well, is um,
1: so I graduated with um, a degree in psychology and I knew I wanted to kind of move more into the healthcare service and um, so my first job in the NHS was actually working in Doncaster um, as a smoking cessation specialist which would be prescribing um, NRT nicotine replacement therapy at the time and at the time the new wonder drug Champix um, had just come out Um, which is a a drug that people can now take to help them reduce smoking. Um, So I was working with people, first of all, um, counselling them around uh, smoking addiction and helping them um, wean off the cigarettes. Um, And obviously a lot of public health promotion around that, around the dangers of, of nicotine and and uh and smoking and that was great enjoyed that and that was my first kind of one-to-one job where I was working one-to-one with with clients and sort of coaching them and also motivating them using a lot of interview techniques and to find out you know their, their patterns of behavior really and how they could break the cycle um and then I was lucky enough to find a job a little bit nearer to home which was in Wakefield and that was uh, for the health Trainer initiative which started in uh, 2006 um, which was a government white paper-led project where the government realised we kind of needed a a go-between between between a GP um, and also kind of gym setting for people to make those really fundamental basic changes of eating a better diet, improving the fruit and veg intake for example uh, and also getting out and getting active. So we did a lot of work in the community. We were community based, um, setting up exercise groups, encouraging people to go on walking groups, you know, a lot of free things, a lot of social well-being things as well as exercise. Um, and then that really developed, really. Um, we won the weight management bid to so run out uh, weight management groups across the whole of the region as well. Um, and worked side by side with the bariatric team at the uh, local hospital for people wanting to go through weight loss surgery as well. So we kind of looked after those clients pre and post the surgery as well for the really kind of fundamental basic, really, of lifestyle changes around that. Um, And then the last three years I was there, I was promoted to work on a a brand new project um, that was looking after women who had gone through bariatric surgery um so in order to conceive um and the other women as well that were rude about putting on weight whether they'd had surgery or not um during the pregnancy because up until that point there was no such thing there was no support really other than kind of the general population sort of slimming world weight watches that kind of thing which when you're pregnant and um, some of it is relevant but it's not very tailored to the pregnant client so that was my job really then looking after women right from booking visit to post-baby when baby had arrived and making sure they were eating the right things and the right amount as well as doing safe and effective exercise for them during the antenatal period and postnatal. yeah
0: cool wow there's loads there before we even get into what you're doing I
1: know (laughs) (laughs) I've had a colourful career so far it's been fun yeah 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 yeah
0: sounds great um I I guess really what there's loads I would wouldn't mind picking up to see what could be a value, sort of now, you know, in terms yeah, of that yeah. experience and knowledge. When you talk about the smoking cessation, although mm-hmm. you know, um, I often talk about well, regaining midlife health, and it's often focused about around um, health, health, fitness, and more about weight loss. But obviously, smoking could be a big factor for for potential listeners and many people. Um, what what were what were some of the approaches that you did with that? Because obviously, you had the 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 Champix, did you say it was? You yeah. had that, but you also sounded like you had some interview techniques and uh, kind of things there that you used as an approach. And I'm just wondering, Eric, that could be useful if somebody's looking to quit smoking now. But also, are, are there things that approaches that can be transferred across? you know other domains if you like you know
1: yeah um definitely what how we used to work with people um we our service did deliver groups as well but i didn't tend to do the group work Um my, my kind of basis was more one-to-one with clients and um, so we would be based in gp surgery so they would come to the gp still um but then they'd see obviously they'd have a one-to-one with us which was generally an hour session um to kind of sit and tell, tell us how they've been getting on. So it was a an eight to 12 week uh, standard kind of course of treatment, if you like. Um, and that really involved it. Well, we were trained in a lot of counselling skills. So a lot of the time it was listening, which effectively a lot of counsellors do, um, and kind of help the client realise their own behaviour and maybe the, the patterns of action that kind of led them to the beginning to get addicted and then the full addiction in, in itself. Um, there weren't many clients that kind of went cold turkey if you like because um, that's not something we would have ever recommended and still not recommend Um so it was about the checking obviously the health of the client first of all before we could prescribe the right products because there was a lot of products out there at the time mainly uh, nicotine replacement therapy the NRT products um, and depending on the level of addiction of the client um, to the tobacco then it that kind of greatly varied what products would work best for them for example so we'd have a, a questionnaire in the first session that had asked them kind of um how soon after waking would you have your first cigarette for example because that is a big indication on on the level of addiction that somebody's got um and then also how many they're smoking a day and when they're smoking um, so things like that that kind of question would determine whether or not someone needs to be on a overnight nicotine patch a 24-hour patch which is kind of a drip feed all day every day or whether they can go on a 12-hour patch which is basically where they stick it on first thing in the morning and then take it off before bedtime um, that kind of thing. The, up until that point there was um, a smoking cessation drug available called Slyban Um, which I know is still out there, but it's not readily used as often because of some of the side effects that it was having, uh, mainly kind of mental health effects on people, um, which led to the development of the new um, Champix drug that had literally just come out uh, within about a year of me joining that service, um, which showed to be a lot more effective and a lot safer, if you like, on both physical health and and mental health for, for clients that were using it as well. Yeah.
0: Yeah, cool. So, the, is it is it a case of then that the work towards weaning them off that? Because obviously, I don't have a lot of experience with that side of things.
1: Yeah. So, with the nicotine replacement therapy, it basically just replaces nicotine. Obviously, that the client would be getting and not in as big amount as well as what the cigarettes will be will be doing, um, but it does help. Sorry, Jen.
0: <laughs> you... I'm sticking with uh, stupid stew behind.
1: Hi, Dave. For the benefits of the listeners
0: and and YouTube channel, uh, this is Stu. <laughs> <laughs> Stu might might feature as a future guest on the podcast, but he's yeah. just he's just jumped in as a guest in the podcast hi. now. Just come say hi. I do
1: apologize. Yeah. All it, right. It, it guess I guess
0: to clear.
1: All right. <laughs>
0: <Sorry>. <laughs> I'm not gonna cut that out, so I'm gonna leave that in. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway sorry, anyway, back to sorry
1: yeah so oh, get- um, yeah we were talking about uh how it how it kind of works isn't it so yeah. the, the nicotine replacement so if you would take the edge off i guess that that's the biggest right. thing they take the edge off the cravings Um there were kind of instant products that you could use when you got a craving such as the gum the nicotine gum that's just basically like a chewing gum that releases nicotine through the the gum layer Um, or the spray that people could use a spray that's again gets absorbed for you linings in your mouth just to again try and get them through that urge for that cigarette as well as then having patches as well and um, mm-hmm. some clients kind of just use the kind of instant sort of craving relief if you like and went without the patches and then other people needed both and vice versa and um, the champix is very different though the champix is basically it blocks the receptors in the brain uh, that respond to nicotine so when somebody does have a cigarette they don't get that rewards that um dopamine and endorphin release that makes them feel good um and also it actually makes people feel sick a lot of the time because they can kind of taste what's in the cigarettes without the pleasure hit if that makes sense right, and yeah. when somebody's become addicted to, to nicotine then they often kind of bypass that if you like because of the, the the physical need of the drug um and they just get used to the kind of taste and the smell and everything so champix is very different that works very different to the nicotine replacement so rather than it just replacing the drug that you become addicted to it actually kind of blocks the effectiveness mm. of getting that feel-good factor of having a cigarette yeah mm.
0: it's interesting um obviously from that I, I mean if there's one or two listeners i guess um they may well have tried to to quit before, but I guess it sounds like that. Particularly, depend on how how addicted or for how long you're going to need. It would be really beneficial to get some support in that. Some some oh, support absolutely. around. Wow.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. really
0: place your chances, I guess. Some people call cool, as you say, call cool to. Yeah. Eat, but yeah. But sounds like there's a little bit more to it than that. There but- is,
1: and I think it, it. You know, we we would see clients like say for between eight and 12 weeks and relapse was kind of almost part of the program if that makes sense because it's quite expected that somebody will relapse um no matter how determined they are because it's a physical need for that drug that you're trying to stay away from um some people yeah you're right did go to cold turkey and are still non-smokers to this day um but it's it i think it's like with any kind of addiction or any breaking of any behavior pattern you you sometimes have to go through a few of those cycles of yeah. change um before you kind of hit the right time the right place yeah. and the right mindset for it to be successful um, and one of the big things that we kind of would try and convey to our clients is that every relapse is not a failure it's just another part of that Particular cycle that going around Mm -hmm. and sometimes in order to be successful and actually quit for the long term you have to go through a few relapses to kind of realize why Um, and you know what was it that you went out with your friends was it that you had that beer and then it all went wrong after that or was it you know just being somewhere familiar where you would normally have a lot of cigarettes and you know it's all those sorts of triggers that people sometimes don't realize until they're in the moment and depending on the motivation at the time depending on the mood as well and the situation then uh yeah you know we're all human um you know it happens and to try and get the clients away from the shame and the guilt of that and to just kind of accept it and own it but then let it go and say okay well that's fine it's happened it's a relapse you know nobody's gonna die um but you know this is not where I want to be so therefore what went wrong this time how can I try and avoid being in that situation again or that thought pattern again Um, and to kind of work through that so that for example is a um, an example of the sort of counselling and the sort of conversations that we'd have with our clients where we kind of really break down the cognition and the thought processes of what went on with the physical environment around them of what went on at that time and then how we could kind of maybe offer solutions um because it's often like anything you know when you've got come to anybody with a problem it's it's often really useful to have somebody completely and utterly subjective to to look at the situation and go oh have you thought about this um and to kind of offer them solutions and talk through with them really and, and let them find their own their own way of dealing with it yeah
0: yeah yeah and and there's there's so many power para- well it is you you can't you mentioned it there is that you know it, it's Yes, there's a physical addictive nature to to tobacco, and I'm by no means an expert on any of that. But there's the behavioural element to it, and the psychological and emotional, and the parallels to that, particularly I guess to the work you do now, um, but the work you did with um, you know around the bariatric support and barrier uh, the weight, the health and weight, and the supporting yes. people going for bariatric surgery and post etc. It's about that behaviour change and you, you, the the cycles we go and and the approach that you, you're talking about is is for me it's the critical approach isn't it because how often is it and it's i say a lot with with clients when i talk to them as well is that there's there's that beating ourselves up that that self-criticism that comes with a lapse and i like the distinction because we talk about the cycle of the behavior you know and that but the lapse there's a phrase in in this kind of thing where a lapse is a lapse but it doesn't need to be a relapse and a relapse could be where you start to spin off into the behaviors and that even that doesn't mean that it's the end of it. As you say, you, you, there's a point where you can stop. And it's how you talk to yourself and come out of that back to it. And what you can learn from it. I always think about treating treating this as a journey, as an experiment. You know, every bit of so-called failure is feedback, isn't it? It's Absolutely. based on the research that you are conducting with your life. Um, and you can learn from that. And the, part, the point of doing it, to learn it from a frame of mind of compassion permission yes. to be human you know that yes. kind of thing is is really where the power is at and i think where the transformative nature of it is so yeah really really interesting as well and i guess the, the the comparisons are there when we look at things like healthy eating do you want to tell us a bit about that work that you did there as well then because obviously it's 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 moved along from the smoking cessation into that and supporting people because i think that's an interesting area as well because for me if somebody thinks right i I've let myself go I just need to sort myself out I need to go to the gym and I need to pick up a follow-up plan and eating plan or whatever then they and they've got the confidence to do that that's one thing but there's a lot of people who are potentially in that middle ground that no man's land I guess where I'm too I don't have the confidence to go to the gym or I just feel like I'm doing a lot in my head about who am I to think I can and there's a lot of psychological and confidence levels things going on there
1: yeah. and
0: I guess with that, what was the work around that you did with people in that area?
1: Yeah, to be honest, Dave, it was very, very similar. So we were really fortunate um, to have an hour with our clients. Um, And again, we'd either be based in kind of community settings or GP surgeries. um, Because once we'd been running for like a year or so, the GPs were like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. You know, we haven't got the time to sit and kind of coach somebody through um, losing weight and eating better, and all the reasons why and how to do it. Um, and in my experience, quite often, and this is no disrespect to GPs, but they don't know how to either because they're not specialists in that particular area. And yeah, yeah. um, so they kind of soon realised the value of what we did, and therefore that's why then we ended up being based a lot of the time in GP surgeries across the district. Um, so. Yeah, it was, it was very similar. There was a lot of crossover between uh, smoking cessation and um, working with somebody, whether it be diet or exercise. Exercise, I think, is a little bit more straightforward because once you get someone doing something that they feel is achievable and sustainable and that they enjoy, which is a really big factor, mm. uh, the results kind of increase that motivation itself. You don't really need to do loads more unless they hit a bit of a bump in the road. Um the results start speaking for themselves, not just the physical changes but the mental changes more than anything else. You know, that feel-good factor. Um with diet though it is quite different. Um so again we'd be working with clients for up to 12 weeks. We'd offer a 12 week program. Um, and a lot of it was education so the big thing around nutrition and fitness is getting the right messages out there it's such a massive market Um, and unfortunately because it it is often paying on people's vulnerabilities and the fact that they're not happy with themselves and they are wanting to change that uh there's a lot of people out there that want to make a quick book and promise you the world and everything will change if you buy this product if you do this and um, so it's cutting through all the crap so to speak and actually telling people the science of why we need to do certain things and, and what will happen if you do that um which was a lot of my job you know the education aspect of it but then the coaching element as well, because you can't just have the education. You can't unbuzzle somebody with all the reasons why and then expect them to go, all oh, right, yeah, I get it. Yeah, I'm going to do it now. Because if they knew that, and often, more often than not, a lot of people do know that, you know, maybe not at the level that, you know, myself would know or my colleagues would know, but they don't need to know that either. Um, but it's that kind of in between So drip feeding them the right information and why but then looking as to, okay, so this is why now, so why are you not doing it? And as, as crass as that sounds, um, it's really a lot of the time looking into somebody's self-worth. That That is the big thing. Um, yes, you know, our lives are busy and everyone's got a lot going on, but more often than not, when I'm dealing uh, with clients back then, and especially now, it's no different now, even when I'm in a, a gym setting and a fitness setting, um it's somebody's belief um and you know to quote you Dave the stories that people tell themselves about how successful they're going to be if they do try and make this change or it's not going to work because I'm a failure because it's not worked in the past because of xyz and it's about breaking that kind of that thought pattern and also getting them to realize why it might not work or why they think it might not work or actually this time if we change this slightly it might work um because often than not when it comes to diet and exercise people do the same thing you know they expect to do the same old thing (laughs) and get different results at different periods in their life and that doesn't work in any any other aspects of anything so why would it work with with fitness and nutrition you know and I'm sitting here kind of I'm not um downplaying it in any of the seriousness of it but it it, it, you know when you see it day in day out it, it becomes quite humorous in a way that us um, as humans tend to kind of think that way that one kind of yeah I need to do this and this happened last time and it worked so it must be me that's doing something wrong everyone's their own self-critic um and try and steer people away from that and yes get them to have that awareness of when things have gone wrong but also maybe why um and why they feel they can't do that? Why they feel that this didn't work last time? And what is it? The barriers that are in the way of stopping them, making those tiny bits of progress moving forwards. Mm. Um, and in terms of weight loss and things like nutrition, it's it's often that people want it yesterday. Mm. Uh, again, another brilliant human trait that's really useful. <laughs> Everybody wants everything now. And I think in today's culture, that's only been amplified by the fact that we've got phones and Internet and you can just go, oh, I don't know what that is. Oh, I love look, And it's there. Um, Unfortunately, our bodies haven't quite caught up with that world and it doesn't work like that. So, again, to try and get across to somebody that things take time and it is consistency that is key. Um, you know, once you get someone making those small little changes rather than trying to tackle the elephant that they see in front of them, you know, that um this massive problem that they do want to lose four stone or they do want to completely change the diet. Um yeah, it's kind of looking at the smaller things that they can change on a day to day basis and celebrating those each week and boosting that person's self confidence and self worth and belief that, oh yeah, I have done that. Oh yeah, okay. Oh well, maybe I can do that that you're talking about now next week. And once you get somebody in that cycle, it soon snowballs. And yeah. yes, relapse has come during the way, and that you know we've all just spoken about that. That's part of it. But it's also about kind of getting that lump of grit out of the snowball and say, okay, that's your relapse. We're going to put that over there. But let's not forget, this snowball's not smashed up. It's still there. We just got a chunk missing that we need to fill back in again, and then carry on rolling it again. Um, <sighs> because yeah everyone does tend to go oh that's it i've ruined it now yeah you know start again and it's so often not the case yeah,
0: yeah. i love that i love the, the everything you said there there's a couple of things i want to pick up on as well because the snowball thing is that that's actually been used a couple of times by clients when you know when you just kind of they hit that one thing it does snowball and yes there's relapse etc so i love that because because it is about getting into that way of mind, uh, that way, the frame of mind. You know, I call it the sprout sweater approach and it's yeah. just the small things, but it's the self-belief. And it's the, f- I think it's it's ironic, isn't it? That the the very thing that we need to change our beliefs is the thing that is actually creating the belief in the first place. It's like, that's the difficulty and the challenge in shifting it. And yet we're amazing because we can do it. It's, it's, yeah. it's amazing, isn't it, that, that we can, that we can actually even do that is amazing. Um, So it's no wonder that we're going to slip back into the tracks of the older thought patterns, especially when stress is on or pressure is high, etc. We're going to slip back. But the ability to step out is in itself an amazing thing when you think about the the brain. But it is doing that, isn't it? And you're right. you, You mentioned about the stuff that's out there. And I think you're right. Most of us, when we unpick it, kind of have the basics in there. And at the very start and probably a fair bit of the early parts of the journey, that's all we need. But there is so much out there that we can, it's not that, it, yes, there's a sense of preying on you, but the, the, you can create some very strong beliefs around them. And those beliefs, as you say, they're, they're so hard to change that, you know, having a biscuit, having a treat is a bad, evil thing, or having this mm. high fat, low carb, whatever, whatever the, 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 the latest thing is they're wrapped up in such claims of evidence claims of this it sounds good that makes so much sense you know because we pick this but so people have a lot of entrenched beliefs around certain things as well as confusion and I think that's where the challenge is to to pick apart but once they get it Absolutely. it's that yeah. and I think that's what's amazing so yeah yeah it's it's um it's a brilliant thing so I'm trying to think what really in terms of it what you mentioned listening a couple of times, listening, education, and coaching. I think there's three elements there. We can't we can only give them little bits and drip feed mm-hmm. people. I think that's really useful because we don't want to overwhelm and actually, but how how important do you find the listening part of that? Uh,
1: that is my job. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you know what? This, yeah, that in you know, every arena, whether it be the one to one, whether it be the the group. Uh, facilitation because even when you're kind of up at the front of a a classroom kind of running um educational sessions on certain things you've still got to obviously listen to people's response to that and listen to questions um I would say obviously that kind of arena is less so you're listening the least if that makes sense because you are just kind of talking at you you know what I mean um but one-to-one work it is listening a lot of the time and it's I mean, it's hard. I find it the hardest part of the job, the most rewarding part of the job, but it is hard. And again, in this day and age, when everything's kind of instant and spontaneous, to really listen to somebody um, and to give them time to listen to what they're saying themselves as well, which I find really interesting. Because it's often when somebody's kind of talking about something, 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 and then they're getting really passionate about it. And then they kind of just realise what they've said. And that happens a lot in the gym, believe it or not, because you have got that distraction of that they're doing something at the same time. You know, whether it be a a press-up or a squat or whatever, and that endorphin release of the exercise. People tell you an awful lot Um, and then often kind of go, oh, my God, I can't believe I've just said that. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. All right. so, definitely a big part of our job is listening. And it's kind of an in joke for kind of personal traders, I'm sure, everywhere that, you know, our biggest part of the job is being a counsellor for all our clients. Um, and we do get to know them incredibly well because we are that kind of um, objective person in the life that they see every week and that you hopefully build a really close, you know, bond with and a working relationship with. But we're not family and um, we're kind of not a direct close friend as such. It's still a working um partnership if you like but we're there for that client and to get the best version of them really and to help them get there but also to help them see themselves that actually they're the ones that have done all the hard work you know I just stand there listen a lot of the time but then advise them what to do and how to do it and make sure they're doing it right but it's them that are doing all the hard work Mm. and quite often than not um you know it's it's lovely when people Send you thank you cards and presents and you know text all the rest of it. Oh, I can't believe it! You know, I've lost this much weight, and which is fantastic. But I always try and remind my clients, all you know, it's not really me. I appreciate the you know the thanks, but it's you that's done all the hard work. I've just kind of listened to you half the time to hear the, the reasons why you found it difficult, why you've not done so well in the past. But let them come to their own conclusions and let them find their own answers because. Actually, everybody knows deep down what the real issue is, and it's often until they have that one person that is a constant in their life, and um, to really just take the time and concentrate on them and give them that hour each week or whatever it might be to listen to them. That's just having that opportunity in itself, I think, is what people need a lot of the time just to actually start listening to what they're saying about themselves, but also to start realising that someone's there to pick up the pieces if the wheels do come off and they realise actually why they're telling those stories in the head, what they're telling themselves about. Because I think a lot of the time it's fear and um, that people kind of then go there as the real reasons why, because they're scared about what condition they're going to be in when they, they do pull the plaster off and go, actually, yeah, that's exactly why I'm doing that. But you know who's going to be there to pick me up afterwards? Yeah. Um So yeah, I I think listening and kind of being there for the clients whilst they figure it out themselves, whilst I'm kind of saying, "Oh, I've thought about this and maybe do it this way." And yeah, that's that's that is the biggest part of the job. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. I'm I'm totally bought it. It was one of the hardest things I learned and still have to learn. To be fair, as a work in progress, when with coaching, it's just just shut up, (laughs) you know. Um, (laughs) But also, you're right. There is a magic in listening in in allowing somebody to talk it out and get it outside. So they hear it with the two ears, the, the things Absolutely. on the side of the head, rather than it rattling around and mixed up with all sorts, because people do self-organize. And I think that that is the essence of true coaching, isn't it? But it's also, I think it's it's a, a way of self-coaching. I've got a friend who tongue in cheek says, um, you know, coaching's a bit like, I, I, I could just go out and talk to the lamppost. And if I talk to it long enough, I'll come away feeling better with some ideas. And I know he's being flippant and tongue in cheek, but there's an element of that in that yes we need the human being and support etc but you know the connection but i think it's just getting it out and being able to listen to yourself and that little bit of courage to let it out i think you're right that that, that can take a bit of courage And um, but then organizing it ourselves and then picking the bits that work and moving on can be really really powerful and that's why i'm a big fan of journaling and, and reflective practice in general you know um but yeah i think that's that's absolutely spot on a huge one and I, i've heard that a lot from um, from, from people, particularly in your profession doing that, you know, that, 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 that's a big part of it. Um, and no doubt that's, that's where without necessarily saying it, the clients get themselves get so much value out of it Absolutely, you know, while they're doing the, 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 whatever the exercises. I love yeah. that. So, yeah, so the listening part is part of it, but again, it's that pulling together and then knowing when to feed in that judgment mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. of it. And really what we're trying to do is get that person into a place, I guess, where, as you said, there's two, there's two folks from what you're working on there. One is the exercise, which if we can get them or you can get them to a place where they can find something that works for them, that they enjoy, that the, that, that, um, is the lower barrier to entry, if you like for them to get in, then they, they'll, they'll sustain it. And then some around the eating is to start to spot their, their own beliefs around it. They, they weed out the misunderstandings and pick the things that work for them in that as well, but in a, a more, in a guided way as well.
1: absolutely yeah the the food side of things um like i mentioned at the beginning it it is very whether somebody realizes it or not at the beginning it is it's more often not in a very emotional um subject matter um and when you're kind of peeling back the layers bit by bit you know, when you when you first presented with the client, for example, I try and think of them as an onion, um, because they might be a little bit kind of hard and crusty on the outside because they're fearful of what's going to happen. They think I'm going to beast them for you know an hour each week and tell them to eat nothing but chicken and broccoli or whatever it might be, um, and yeah, once you kind of strip back those layers of the onion each time, each time, and kind of get to the true core of of what is really going on, um, more often than not it is self-worth and people's experiences. And us as human beings, we are social creatures. There's, there's no way of getting around that and neither would you want to because it's it's one of the brilliant things about being human. Um, but on the flip side of that, then often social interactions and relationships with people, whether it be you know people's parents, family, partner, often things aren't so pretty and aren't so rosy and people often have a lot of negative uh, experiences Um, that have shaped the way they think about themselves and shaped the way they think about themselves in the essence and everybody else and what's going to happen. And yeah, it's when you're talking about food, it's a big thing. Um, Somebody's self-belief as to why, say, for example, they're overweight in the first place or why they don't want to be overweight, more to the point. Um, But then also uh, behavior. So, you know, when I'm dealing with clients that, um, say for example, the diet is pretty good, but the thing that's letting them down is the alcohol intake, and mm. it's it's quite funny how people kind of bypass that and forget about that. Oh yeah, drink doesn't matter. Well, yeah, it does. um And then obviously you're looking at then the reasons why somebody is having you know two or three glasses of, of wine a night. Oh, I'm stressed, you know, work's been a nightmare. Okay, well let's look at that then. Tell me about that. Um, You know, and it's just, again, having that time with that person to let them talk and to realise that I am there for them um, and to look at the reasons why it's almost self-sabotage in a way, but they've not really realised that up until that point. Um, Or maybe have, but don't feel like they've got the tools and and the confidence to change it. Um, So, yeah
0: so that that's a probably a good point to pick up then on um the work that you're doing because we're, talk, we're talking a bit about the work that you're doing now as well mm-hmm. um one of the reasons i want to talk to you was because you you know conversations with you've mentioned that you, you you particularly support um the midlifers i guess you know who are looking at that health reversal um fair few women perhaps dealing with premenopause, menopause menopause um as well as a lot of the other stuff that's going on mm-hmm. Midlife Reshape Academy is now up and running and the founder members are off to a great start. If you... Two are a midlifer and you're finding your health and weight have slipped in the wrong direction. You're feeling overwhelmed and lost by the prospect of embarking on yet another attempt to regain your health. Then drop me a line at Dave at RestlessMidlifer.com to find out how my Reshape Immersive programs can help provide everything you need to get you back on track and achieving more than you thought possible in terms of your weight, health and zest for midlife and beyond. You can find out more at Midlifereshape.com. Well, let's take it as a bit of a sort of a, a kind of imaginary case study. If you have a client that comes to you that's kind of in that, you know, they're a busy professional. Um, you know, they've had the lockdown kind of period where perhaps drinking has crept up because it's been ever, ever easy, it's been a lot of uncertainty, a lot of stress, etc. and they've got into habits. Um, they're now doing a hybrid type of work and where they are having to go away for work, but also they're working from home yeah. very much on these screens. Um, They might have been successful with a bit of weight loss in the past, but it's come back on feeling really self-critical and hard on themselves and just wanting to get their head round, how do I get back on track? But not the way I did it because it was all or nothing the other way. You know, I was really hard and cruel to myself and driving myself. And I just don't, I don't want to do that anymore. And also I don't have the energy in myself to be that hard on myself. Where would you where would you start with them in terms of I want to I want to get a bit more active, I want to start losing that weight. And to be fair, I know my drinking's it is probably more than it should be. In fact, it's a lot more than it should be. Do you know what I mean? That kind of scenario.
1: Yeah. Um, in that, normally when we kind of meet new clients, um, we, they normally come through to us as part of the health MOT. So as part of joining um, the company that I work for, at Nuffield, then they are entitled to a health check and which is quite in depth we do a lot um including blood testing and things like that and we do a lifestyle assessment with them as well so more often than not the first time that we potentially might hear of their behaviors around that kind of uh case study would be then um when we ask them you know how they're sleeping or how many units of alcohol they have a week so in that scenario the first bit is the information and it's very basic we like basically say right this is a recommended amount of units per week 14 units per week man and a woman two to three for a guy one to two for a female um and kind of make that real for them as well because you know unless you're in our profession you people don't know what a unit of alcohol is and they're kind of a bit like oh yeah is that a glass of wine or is that half or what about the percentage and it's all a bit wishy-washy and i think kind of actually seeing this is what it is this is what you're doing, this is the issue, okay? Because most people will agree with you. You know, the very fact that they've opened up to you, and like you've just said, perfect example, oh, I know i kind of maybe drinking too much. People are very kind of coy about it, but they know deep down that what they're doing is not great for the body. And it's about kind of giving them that very short, brief information as to what it should be for to be healthy and as to why, but then asking them, asking them how they think they could make, changes that will be more leaning towards where they should be at um rather than telling somebody you must stop drinking or only drink safe amounts because you know if they could do that they would be doing that already um and more often than that you know it's, it's baby steps you know that person that client more often than not says oh, okay well you know maybe i could try t- try drinking one glass of wine less a night one night a week to start with um okay yeah and what are we going to replace that glass with um you know making sure that there's a substitute uh, and obviously a non-alcoholic substitute (laughs) ideally um just so that they're not doing without as well just to recognize that that change is a positive change that also needs rewarding because people are really good at trying to make positive changes but they're not celebrating it and then wondering why they kind of still feel a bit like (laughs) you know and they end up then getting into that cycle of feeling like the killing themselves and no oh, woe is me because I'm doing all of this and nothing's happening Um, so yeah just basically listening to the client and seeing what they feel that they could do rather than us suggest it. you know sometimes people ask us you know they have no clue genuinely no clue Um, in which we kind of make small suggestions of what other clients that have, we've seen that have been successful with what they've found useful so that it isn't coming direct from us as a that we're like lecturing somebody, but it's also well, from my experience, I've found that some clients have tried this and they've found that it works. Mm. Um, and just how you frame it as a very positive thing, people respond really well to that. And why won't we? You know, you know, nobody wants to kind of be negative and be unhappy about things. So yeah. Mm.
0: I think that's that's a great that's brilliant because it's that shift. If we talk about this particular case study person, then before the answer was right, I just need to do it stuff it you know no pain no gain all of that kind of you know and when i slip i'm cruel to myself hot, i'm driving myself and and you know i've done this myself in the past where it's worked you know in the past at points in my life probably when I had a lot more energy and i was pretty naive and i just thought that's the way it was now i don't and I, and it's really why i'm on this journey as well because i've realized it doesn't work what got me here <coughs> won't get me there, that type of thing. Yeah. And that shift is a very fundamental shift, isn't it? So there's tactics out of it, but the fundamental shift is, let's not adopt that cruel, negative approach to it. Let's treat this as a positive journey. And I love the what you said about the reward as well, the rewarding and the positive aspect to it, because that's very much rooted in the research, isn't it? Around habits and, and whatever. If we don't actually celebrate those, even those sprout-sized little things that we've Absolutely. done differently, then it doesn't embed as well. Yeah. And we don't necessarily start to associate it because the, the habit is trigger action reward isn't it that's pretty much the very basic fundamental
1: Absolutely. part of Reward is
0: why i'm drinking the alcohol or i'm having that bit of food because it's sweet and it's, gives me an emotional hit whatever it does i've got to replace that haven't i so I'm i love sure. that yeah. yeah
1: yeah definitely yeah and i think what you said dave about the all or nothing approach mm. oh my word uh yeah if that is the one thing that is still out there with, with every a lot of aspects in life, but especially with health and fitness. Uh, and unfortunately, there's still kind of uh, places and kind of um, training lifestyle programs out there that kind of really feed into that mindset that it should be all or nothing. Yeah. And mean, if you're not doing this, then it's going to fail. You're going to be failure. But again, that that to me is it's obvious now looking through it with different kind of spectacles being and um, doing this job for so long that that's just a business model that's just a business tactic you know to make people fail so that then they think that's their fault but actually they 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 knew what they were talking about oh if i just pay another 500 pounds pound i'll do it this time when actually you know it's, it's just the same thing going through that cycle each time and trying to get clients away from the all or nothing thinking Ugh. That is, <laughs> and an answer for myself as well. I've been through that cycle. I, you know, this is personal experience as well from myself mm. talking. Once you kind of learn to try and steer away from that yourself, you're laughing mm. because, you know, you, you you learn to kind of give yourself an easier ride and, you know, put your kind eyes in on yourself. A lot of people are great at putting the kind eyes in for other people and say, oh, you know, you've, they've all got that going on. That's brilliant that they've managed that, you know, brilliant. But that, when it comes to the sales, it's like no, nah, it's not good enough. It has to. Be. Oh, it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. Um, and to to kind of get people away from that way of thinking because it it isn't useful, it isn't productive, and it isn't constructive in terms of making behavior change. Let alone setting yourself up for success. And not only when you do get that success, what then? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, sustaining kind of a. a Medium where it's a nice balance with the rest of your life and every other aspects of your holistic health and well-being. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah absolutely. I love that kind eyes um, uh, uh, metaphor because I think it is. This is this is so often where you know you have we have the skill to be compassionate and and caring and kind eyes to others. So we've got the skill. We just need to turn those kind of eyes on ourselves, don't we, at times. So I love that. And you, you mentioned there, and I don't know if, if you want to delve a little bit into it, but you mentioned that you've been through that kind of thing. And I think it's interesting because I think that can give you a perspective that means as a coach, you've got that. It's not that you then say, "Yeah, hey, you, you think you've had it hard. hard Listen is my state. <laughs> yeah. A
1: certain
0: empathy, doesn't it? And I think absolutely
1: a connection
0: yeah. that you have with people or can yeah. have Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think when I think about it, um, I could get very kind of spiritual almost about it, because I I definitely feel that, you know, at a time in my life when I really desperately was unhappy with how I looked and my health wasn't great. um, Actually, now, as I sit here talking to you, I'm kind of glad I've been through that because I truly believe that it was just part of my journey my life journey to kind of get me to where I'm I'm doing now and the work that I'm doing now because to think about doing anything else um I'd really miss it and uh, you know I'm passionate about it and if I can do it then anybody else can do it but definitely I think to have that experience of you know being 15 and a half stone what I used to be and being massively unwell from it you know a lot of people don't realize when the the overweight just how much impact that has on your health and yes people talk about diabetes and cancer risk and things like that people I think that scares a lot of people and they just shut it off yeah oh that won't happen to me I'll do something about it before I get to that point but it's all the little things you know just the energy the crap sleep waking up every day feeling knackered and just having that kind of effort to get through each day and for me it was constantly feeling like that and then it started getting um like more immune issues so I was constantly ill like every other month I'd have a cold I'd have a chest infection and being asthmatic that's hard enough as it is because it generally takes you a bit longer to get over something like that um and you know at the time you know I was brought up well you know my mum and dad looked after me in terms of making sure I ate my veggies and things like that and did some exercise um but I didn't really have the awareness of. why and how much of an impact that could do until I started training in this arena and kind of doing the, the certificates and things that I've done and then for me I'm, I'm very much kind of um like a scientist way of, of thinking you know if I understand the concept of why you should be eating your at least five portions well 10, ten portions of fruit and veg a day if I understand why rather than just being told to do it then it's like oh okay right yeah so I get it now all right, so maybe I will try and add a few more veggies in, you know, and that's a very kind of small example, if you like. Um, But yeah, the kind of light bulb moment clicked when I did understand it more and thought, right, okay, this, this is my body, this is my health. You know, I'm lucky enough to be on this earth as it is. So let's, the only person that can really change this around here is me with help from other people to guide me in the right direction. And I think because been through that process I, I do get it and I get where people are at and you know to, when I'm talking to my clients you know because some of them do come to me because of that exact reason that you know on my profile they've seen my before and after pictures and also you know heard a little bit about my story and gone oh my god right yeah she gets it and um, and I never thought I'd be sat here saying I'm really glad of that journey but you know in, from a pure business point of view it's fantastic because, it, you know, I am walking the talk, if you like, and, you know, people know that I've been through it and I'm not some, you know, 18 year old that's been fit and thin all the life and never had to worry about what what they uh, look like. And hearing people's thoughts is really interesting because, you know, trying to get across to people that even now my body's changed and I'm fairly happy with how I look now, there's always that fear of going back to where I was. And I think once you've been kind of overweight, you always tend to think of yourself still being the same shape and size, even though you know you're not when you look in the mirror. Um, and that really interests me because it's like that inner image of yourself that you have up here and kind of in here as well, the kind of the emotion behind it as well, um, that takes a lot of changing. And whether or not arguably it does ever change, I'm not so sure. Um but getting someone to realise that physically things have changed and that things can change, you know, if they're, if they're at the beginning of that journey, yeah. yeah.
0: Oh, that, right, there, there's, there's such a lot in there, but that last point I think is a really, really important thing to pick up on because uh, I get it in the sense that, I mean, I've I've been up and down all my life. I, I mean, I, remember, I look at pictures now of me when I was 15, when I thought I was like fact, The word obese wasn't a thing then, but you know, well, in my head, I was I was rolling off grain jail, and you know, in fact, that's what I used to be called at school. You know, so there's there's the bullying around, it. but there's pictures of you look flipping. Hell, I wasn't. Do you know what I mean? And yet you carry you carry an inner identity and an inner an inner image that forms part of your identity, and it's such a powerful thing because you're who you think you are and believe you are is shaped by so many things, but it becomes such a core foundational thing doesn't it I think yeah. you're right that when you're on this journey and, and for me th- those ups and downs have become they've flattened out a bit and yes I'm not quite where I want to be but I'm certainly down from where I was once I started to sustainably change that approach but you're right I'm still having to distinguish between the feeling that I might still be that person and the rational part of me that has to say hang on a minute Dave you, you're not and it's changed, and there's st- there is a fear there. I think that's that's a really powerful thing to say because um, the journey that somebody goes on, and sadly, I've seen it, uh, you know, in, in close people um, that it is that that undermines them. If you know, in that sort of motivation, um, inspiration, whatever carries them so far but then it's that self-identity that and the fear that kind of takes them back or to, leads them to ditch these things. And, and part of it's because the old method is just do it, be cruel to yourself and drive yourself through it. So there's a lot, and it's not easy. And you said something about time. It, it takes time. It's not just the time it takes to lose the weight. It's the time it takes to reshape Absolutely. the stuff in here. And as you say, I'm not sure you ever get there to the totally end. I mean, but for me, that's not the point. Yeah. You know, the point is to manage it so that I'm actually enjoying yeah. my life while I'm doing it, you know?
1: Absolutely, yeah. And to recognise how far you've come and how far you've climbed yeah. and to keep reminding them of that. Because everyone is human, always focus on the negatives, the things that they could have done better and kind of, oh, yeah, yeah. And someone who pays you a compliment for it. I mean, I, I know I'm a woman and us women are brilliant at doing that. Someone who pays you a compliment. It's like, oh, this old thing, oh, no, I haven't lost weight I and mean, all that business. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, people kind of back that off straight away because they don't want the attention. They don't want to celebrate the success, which I find really odd. Um, but yet we can be so negative and focus on the stuff that hasn't gone quite so well. Um, so it's trying to readdress that balance and getting people to realize that that's not being self glorification, that's not being big headed, that's just getting the balance right so that you can recognize the successes and how far somebody's come and how, how far yourself has come but also then recognising what could still be better. um, But also, you know, what went wrong in the past as well. And that that's in the past. Yes, it could be the future as well, but learning. And the more time you spend with that person, getting them to believe that what they're doing now will continue to work because they've got it. They've nailed it. You know, they will start to recognise when they start going down that slippery slope to where they don't want to be. Um, And yeah, just kind of me being as a, a... PT is kind of a lot of the time is just catching somebody when they're at that kind of slippery slope about to get on their water slide back to where they were going and say, well, hang on a minute, you know, let's just think about this for a second. And it's not a telling off at that point. That's the interesting thing. It's not like, oh, what are you doing? You know, I've spent all this time. You've lost all this weight. What are you doing? Um, Some clients you can have that bit of a joke about because that's how they respond to it. But uh, it's all tongue in cheek, I have to say, Um, more often than not. But um, it's it's kind of say no, you know. Why do you feel that you're at this point? And just look and reminding them of all the things that they've done well and all the changes that have done. And more, nine times out of ten, when you get to that point, someone goes, oh, "Okay, yeah, I have done quite well, Anna. All right, maybe I won't do that." You know, and it's picking them up, getting the hand out, pulling them back up again, and say, "Right, okay, let's go." And, you know, that that is the the change and that's constant, you know, no matter how successful somebody's been, no matter how well into achieving the goals they are, um, that is a constant thing. I guess for every day that you're alive is a new set of experiences and not all of them are positive. So, yeah, it's about being there for people through everything really, yeah.
0: Yeah. it's ironic that it can be quite comfortable and comforting to step back in to the, yeah. the that costume that was the 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 identity Absolutely. that you have but yeah. you're right sometimes you need to realize that it's comforting as for, but it's it's only comforting because it's been familiar but it's not it's not who we are now and not not yeah it's not doing us any good but sometimes we just need to to either remind ourselves or as you say have that coach friend somebody that we can just confide in that that says the right thing doesn't kind of indulge the 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 identity, but moves yeah. you
1: on. And I, I, do you know what? It's really interesting is that because one thing I've, I've noticed over the years of, of training people is, and it, it's a really simple thing, but for people that have been not happy with the body image for a long, long time, they get stuck in a certain way of dressing, which is more than often than not usually very baggy clothing to try and hide that they're not happy about how their body looks. And when you get to that point with somebody that has lost the weight or has put the muscle on or whatever it might be that they're wanting to try and achieve to feel how they perceive to look better and how they want to do, the minute they start dressing different, they're usually wearing something a bit more fitted that shows off the changes in the body that's happened. People are really uncomfortable with that to start off with, and it, I find it quite spooky the fact that that is a physical manifestation of maybe what's going on up here mm-hmm. that. You know, the, 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 this new person now, the new image looking back at them in the mirror is, is not the one that's still up here that they kind of see behind their eyes, if that makes sense. And it's almost like somebody feels really awkward being in the fitted T-shirt in the gym as opposed to the big baggy, you know, used T-shirt that they've had for 20 years or whatever it might be. Um, and I think... Working with clients, it's really lovely when you kind of see that transition change, and that then the weeks, as the months, as the years go forward, that actually then they then start owning that t shirt, and then the t shirt gets a bit tighter, and then the shorts come out, and whatever it might be. But I, I find that really uh, humorous in a way because it is often, um, you know, like I say, a physical manifestation of actually the change that people yeah. battle with to start off with. And to some degree, maybe always battle with, but are able to control it, Um, you know, with with more years of experience of knowing that they can do well and they can, you know, be the uh, owner of their own destiny, so to speak. Yeah.
0: yeah. I love that as well, because it's a reminder that the physical things like changing your clothes or doing something isn't just a statement. It's a reminder. It's a it's a it's a way of reminding and reinforcing the mindset that you want. Um, you know that you want to to shift to or that you're you're negotiating your way through so it's kind of not there's some power in the physical you know the routines the rituals the behaviors the clothes the things that we do the place we go you know i'm trying to think what one of the things I, I would kind of when i shifted was um you know i've got to go to the gym i've got to do this or you know i'm but i'm not really the kind of person who does it whereas now i am the kind of person i have got across it i am I do CrossFit, you know, it is me, you know, it is who I am type of thing now. And that's a that's a significant shift that we can make in terms of identity that can reinforce itself over time. So that if I miss a week um, or drift away, the old mind comes back, but you just need to get back to it. And then it kind of comes back as a nice fresh reminder yeah. So yeah, Absolutely. it's interesting. One of the things I wasn't, I'm conscious of time here, but um, right. one of the things I did want to touch on um, was, because um, I think we covered loads there and it's great, is um, just from your experience um, in terms of resistance training as a trainer, the value of that, mm-hmm. um for midlife is in general, because for me, it's about recognizing that, you know, strength over as, as we move on in age sort of naturally would diminish and we need to counter that and, and where we can improve upon it. But in particular for females as well, because it, it's, it's come up a couple of times where it's that kind of perception of like, it's not for me. I don't want to be that look or whatever, you know, and obviously as a bloke, I, there's only so much I can say around that. But um, I understand that there's a value. For, for our age group if you like in the resistance training. So do you want to give us your perspective on that?
1: Yeah absolutely. Um and I'm I'm always smiling as you say that because I had this exact example yesterday. Right. <laughs> um Yeah okay so um, as we age naturally obviously lots of processes start changing in the body from a hormonal level as well as a cellular level Uh, and one of the things is uh, muscle mass so lean muscle mass so when I'm talking about lean tissue I'm talking about muscle tissue and now for both males and females once we get past the age of around about 40 there is a natural decline in muscle mass so the muscles that you have begin to get Smaller begin to get slightly weaker if you don't stimulate them. Um, And that's just the lovely part of aging. Yeah, one thing to look forward to. Um, However, all right, um, resistance training is key with that um, because if we get clients doing the right type of resistance training for the right frequency for the right amount of time each week, then that natural decline can actually be limited uh, and stopped in the process, if you like. Um, So you would still continue to lose a bit of muscle over time, but the amount um, is negligible because somebody, even despite being older, um, can still grow muscle. And that's one of the amazing things about the human body, which is just amazing, that no matter what the age, you can still grow muscle. So. You know, you can't fight the process that is going to naturally happen to you with age, but you can certainly reverse it to some extent and also carry on growing muscle as well. Um, for guys, that's really important for hormone uh, metabolism. You know, things like testosterone rely on muscle tissue to, to function correctly. Um, so mood a lot of the time for, for men kind of 40 plus is a, is a big thing. And um, whether it be sort of emotional, psychological issues that are causing the mood change, or whether it be purely the physical thing, it can be, you know, <laughs> men joke sometimes to me about having a male menopause, but it does happen, you know, there is that hormone shift and, and a change in the, the body, especially with the muscle mass. That I think for some men um is noticeable to them massively so, and that it's quite fearful and they don't like it. Um for women, um, it's far more um i want to say impactful but noticeable and um, when you get women doing the resistance training unfortunately when women enter the menopause then weight gain is quite often a common symptom um, it's not a given and um, same as pregnancy when i work with a pregnancy client and um, you know it's not always that people will gain a lot of weight during pregnancy and um, the same thing for menopause it's not always that someone has to gain a lot of weight through menopause as long as they alter the training and part of that is doing the resistance training so helping women to build more lean muscle tissue and um, helps them regulate the hormones but also helps them resist future weight gain so i always use the analogy with my clients about having a bigger engine in your car you know, if you go from having a 1.4 feet Panda, for example, to a two litre engine sports car, um, you're going to burn far more fuel in the sports car. Same thing with bodies. Yeah, the more muscle tissue that you can pack on and increase internally, the the higher your metabolic rates, the more calories you burn just at rest, like we are now talking to each other. So that is one thing, even with my younger clients, you know, the sort of 20s and 30s, um, I try and get them towards the resistance training because not only is it so beneficial for weight loss there and then, but for the future, if I can get a lady to pack on as much muscle as possible, Uh, whilst that process is at its prime if you like when you're younger that's only going to help make things a lot easier as they do enter the midlife um, section and for those that are already in the the 40 plus category then yeah that can still happen we can still help somebody grow muscle and the more muscle that they've got then the leaner somebody becomes um because a lot of people don't realize you know you can have two people the same exact weight same height um but one will have a lot higher percentage body fat than the other and therefore look completely different yet they might weigh exactly the same because the other person's got a lot more muscle tissue than body fat um and it's about getting women to realize that if they do do the resistance training um they're not going to look like i don't know what they think they'll look like like she humans and arnold Schwarzenegger, which is kind of the, the stereotype that i get told a lot of um, you know I don't want to look big I'm already big I don't want to look bigger it's why you're not going to look bigger and to try and get that across to, to women that you know it's it's not about looking like you've just stepped out of uh, you know the beach in Miami or wherever it is Um, it's actually about fat loss a lot of the time and um, I think our history and culture of fitness um, in America and also sort of the Western um, is I'm thinking like of the eighties, like the green goddess and stuff, all the aerobic stuff, loads of loads of cardio, you know, yeah. You want to spend an hour on the treadmill each day. You want to go out and do your marathon training. That's how you lose weight. (sighs) It might have worked when you were in your 20s and 30s, but once you hit that 40-plus mark, it ain't going to work, and it's actually going to do you more damage than good because it's going to make losing body weight harder. Um, So, yeah, definitely resistance training is the key. That is what I would say to any client at any time in their life, but especially midlife for males and especially midlife uh, for females as well. Yeah.
0: Awesome. Thank you. I mean, to be fair, I'm going to clip this out as a short little clip separate from the podcast because I think that – captures everything um and brilliant. so thank you for that because i i think that, that this has been great conversation on so many levels it's been great to catch up and 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 talk through these things but for me for any listener out there if they're at the stage where and it doesn't have to be an age thing it's that point where in life where you go hang on a minute what am i doing <laughs> yeah. what, you know there's got to be more like this and what am i doing to myself and that could be just purely psychological But often it reflects in the physical state as well you know whether i'm drinking too much etc so for me it's about exactly that it's that point of right okay i might not feel like i've got the confidence to go to here whether it's the gym to see the you know the crossfit or whatever or run a marathon whatever but there is that point of getting you know going there and part of that but the big part of that is the shift from the driving cruel to myself which is the no pain no gain to right, actually, I'm a human being, I want to enjoy life, let's have a bit of compassion towards myself and let's start that process. And then there is loads there, isn't there? There's loads of information there, but there's loads out there. If we just pick the right sources, the right people to support, we can get there and achieve far more than we ever think
1: or believe. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think definitely with the kind of midlife client and there's, there's lots of common themes and stuff that I kind of see as to why they come to us in the first place and why they're unhappy and often you know the term midlife crisis gets used a lot why why people do have that kind of um, experience in their life which is a very real thing um but I think as well it, it's kind of getting people to celebrate and own who they are at that particular time in their life and to say do you know what midlife is actually all right um you know, a lot of my clients will come that are in that age category. Go, oh God, I wish I'd have just done this years ago. Oh, I just want to be young again. or it's no fun getting old. And to me, looking at these clients and looking at the particular successes that that age group tend to have, ah, oh, it's a fantastic period. I mean, I know I'm slightly biased because I'm hitting nearly the big five myself. However, <laughs> this is the this is a positive thing that I'm telling myself, and um, it is positive. You know, if you know, if you ask the question to my clients oh well did you know everything that you should know in your 20s it's like oh no okay where would you be now if you still carried on doing what you were doing in your 20s oh god no and it's often that cringe factor that people have so again what i try and get across to my clients is you know being in the midlife period is a fantastic place to be because it's you can do the right training to make yourself feel 20 years young physically but then have 20 plus years of life experience. And to me, that's a no brainer. You know, you're not daft, you're not stupid anymore, like you might have been in your 20s. You realize that, you know, you are mortal and things can go wrong, but yeah. you've all. Already- <laughs> But, you know, turn that frown upside down and and to get people to realise that things, you know, if they're unhappy with the health at that point or things are starting to creep up on them and and manifest in terms of risk of diabetes and things like that, that it can be reversed. You know, doing the right training, but the right type of training and the right type of nutrition is different to what they would have been doing in the 20s and 30s and should be. And it's getting people to realise that and then they start to have the success and celebrate that.
0: Awesome. Yeah. And that's probably a brilliant way to finish because I think you're right. It is about reframing what midlife means to you as part of that whole journey. Because um, mm-hmm. I wouldn't trade it. I wouldn't go back to the to the mind that I had back in the day, you know, the, the, the torment that I had in terms of creating myself.
1: Absolutely, um, yeah.
0: And you're right. You can turn that health around. And, you know, I've spoken to so many people where it's never too late. You know, mm-hmm. the, there's, you know people who've got significant amounts of weight loss or significant health issues or both, do you know what I mean? Um, they have done it. They can. So we all can in our yeah. own way uh, on our own unique journey. So I love that. So thank you very much for your time. That all right. It's, it's been,
1: been awesome. A of, it's been great. Yeah? Um, if- Fabulous.
0: Just for listeners, if um, if you want to check out any more, there'll be some more information and links in show notes. If there, Is there any particular um, – do you want them to reach out to me if they have any questions or contact, or is there anything, anywhere that you'd like them to get in touch with you if you want to shout out an email? Um, Yeah, absolutely. Um,
1: If anyone wants to get in touch with me, uh, then my email address is jenwilson, capital letters PT at gmail.com. Or you can also visit the Nuffield Health Wakefield website. Um, You will find my profile on there where you can have a look on there and and purchase personal training. Um, If you wish to come see me in person at the club, if you're local to where I live, and if not, do not worry. Um, just get in contact with me, uh, email, uh, and I will give you a call back and we'll, we'll go from there and see how I can help.
0: Awesome. Great. Well, thank Bye. you so much for your time, Jez. Thank you for listening. You'll find all show notes, links, and resources mentioned at midlifereshape.com forward slash podcast. And it would mean so much if you could spread the word to your fellow restless midlifers, share the show and links. And if you aren't already subscribe to the show in your podcast feed of choice. And one more thing, if you enjoy the show, it would be great if you could rate it by visiting midlifereshape.com forward slash review. It would mean so much, and I may even give you a shout-out in return. And a quick final thanks to production assistant Karen North of North BA and for the music, which is called Silver Star, by the awesome Logan Nicholson of Music for Makers at musicformakers.com. Take care for now, and don't forget you really can reshape your midlife health and rekindle that spirit of adventure.